Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast with me, Brian Clark. It's another packed show this week as we hear from the likes of Felix Auger-Aliassime, Cameron Norrie, and Casper Ruud. Gal Malfis and Alina Svitolina are the latest duo to take part in the Tennis United cross-court initiative. But first, after his exploits at the Laver Cup, American John Isner sat down with the team from ATP Uncovered to take part in another competition, this time answering questions about his own career. To shoot the gifts, to show them what you've got. Shift them from the spot, lift them up, make it high. We'll start with one of the most famous moments of your career, the, the your classic 2010 Wimbledon battle with Nicholas McGee. To shoot the gifts, to never hold back. What was the final duration of the match? 11 hours and 5 minutes. Correct. And the score in the fifth set? I know that. 70-68. To shoot the gifts, to exhibit your skills. Yeah, that was the easy one out of the way. Okay. Yeah. Your first ATP Tour win was in 2007 in Washington. Who was it against? Tim Hinman. Correct. Remember the score? 7-6 in the third. I don't know the first two sets. I don't. Yeah. I can't give yeah, you that. No. Who was your first top 10 win against? Name the player, the tournament, and the year. Um, I'll say Andy Roddick, 2009 US Open. What year, Bryce? Um, hold on. Must have been before. Um... <sighs> that evades me. Indian Wells. Okay. 2009, Gail Monfils. Ah! I wasn't gonna get that. I've played him so many times. He's well aware how many times they've played. This is the 13th time, and he said that's not the first time that John has seen him move around the back of the court like that. We've played a bunch. How many times have you defeated a current number one player in the FedEx ATP rankings? Three? Correct. Okay. Can you name when they were? Who they were? Yeah, Novak and Ine Wells. John Isner, welcome to the top ten. The first American to defeat a reigning number one since James Blake. Novak. Yeah. In Cincinnati. Inspiring stuff from John Isner, the American number one. 2012 Indian Wells. Um, Cincinnati. Then. Uh, Rafa at Laver Cup got that retroactive win over him, yeah, so yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take it. What tournament and year did you hit your 10,000 ace? Yes, I know the tournament. 2018 Houston. Correct. Yeah, yeah you're on this. Is that over Aubrey? No. Like the most? No, Evo's got me. Still playing, damn it. <laughs> He's up by like a thousand on me, I think. Who are the three top 10 players you beat en route to the 2013 Cincinnati final? Three top 10 Okay, yes, so let's work backwards. Del Potro, Djokovic, and Gasquet. Oh. Um. Raonic? Yes. There you go. Yeah. 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 Who are the three top 10 players you beat en route to the 2018 Miami title? Del Potro, Chilich? Yes. And. Sasha. Yes, very good. John Esner is a Masters 1000 champion. What year did you win your ATP award for most improved player of the year? 2009. Yep. I'd like to present this to you. Congratulations. Thank you, I appreciate it. 
what is your career high FedEx ATP doubles ranking? Oh. 18, 21, 24, 28. 26. God, 18, I was way off. Uh, I thought I was better than that. As of this month, how many ATP Tour singles titles have you won in the US? <laughs> All of them, <laughs> except for uh, one. So that would be 14. 13. Oh. Oh, I've won Auckland twice. That's right, yeah. Final question. Who have you played more matches against? Djokovic, Federer, or Nadal? Djokovic. Correct. Yeah. Man, well done. 12 times. Great job. Right. Oh, I was all right. So, to one of the men who John Isner has played most in his career, it's the great entertainer, Gail Monfils. The Frenchman sat down with his new wife, WTA star Alina Svitolina, as part of Tennis United Cross Court. It's a new online initiative going behind the scenes of life on tour through a series of intimate one-on-one -on -one conversations between ATP and WTA players. Gail and Alina were the perfect team to discuss the ups and downs of balancing both a personal relationship and professional tennis. Hey, what's up? It's easier, it's easier, it's easier. Thank you, thank you. All good? Yeah, very good. <laughs> so we're talking here about the relationships. For you, what is it having a relationship in general? Um, you have a, first about a big relationship with your coach. That's the first relationship you have with your team. And then definitely uh, for me, it's easier because uh, I'm with you. So it's a, it's a different type of relationship. Um, find uh, my soulmates in, the, in my sport. It was great you know, to, to also manage this type of uh, relationship as well. For me, I think um, before I met you, it was really tough to balance the relationship and uh, the career because obviously we are traveling pretty much 50 weeks a year and uh, it's quite tough, quite challenging, I would say. Especially, I think, for the girl because girl, all girls, we want love, we want uh, to have uh, someone um, all the time with us. So it's, it's quite challenging, I would say, but I'm really lucky to... <laughs> to have you <laughs> almost almost weekly <laughs> i will blush <laughs> can you explain us a little bit how you find the balance with me i think we're quite lucky that you're also a tennis player because uh, we can uh, bring our team uh, and uh, be there for each other as well so uh, having someone who is in the highest level as well who understands and who shares the same uh, same goals with you. That's um, that's an amazing uh, thing in life uh, to have. And let's talk a little bit about the bad part, you know, because for sure they have some bad parts, you know. The bad the bad part is when uh, your partner is uh, training at seven o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock, and mostly it's me training really early, and uh, someone loves to to have a twelve-hour sleep. <laughs> that's quite tough, but I think we've been managing it quite good and. Um, but I think it's always finding balance and uh, being really quiet in the morning. <laughs> do you remember the first day that we met? I do. It was in Paris, actually. Um, Obviously, we knew each other before, but no, we knew it was a different, yeah. different level of relationship. Yeah, I think uh, we just knew a little bit together. Uh, you were in Paris, I was in Paris at the time. Uh, we have both different reasons, actually, so that was funny. And then. Uh, I, uh, I um, text you to say that uh, 
I think I'm uh, I'm going uh, I'm going out with some friends. If uh, if you want to have a drink with us, and then uh, you definitely say yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. The first I was uh, I, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> you see that? <laughs> no, because I was so jet lagged after Singapore. And uh, it was uh, quite tough for me to stay, to stay awake. <laughs> That's why, you know, when you when you hit actually the place, um, I make you wait a little bit outside. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice. It was in Paris, uh, casual. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was nice, and it was the first time actually we could talk outside of tennis. Uh, we can really met each other, met um, like the real Elena, and I think you you could met uh, the real me. I think since this first day, you know, we pretty much get along uh, very good and uh, been texting, calling and uh, say that uh, we see where the vibe's going and pretty much uh, be happy with that. Who came up with the idea of Gems Life? I think pretty, pretty much both. It, we, it was in Australia, both, you know, we, we just wanted to control a bit more how uh, we will announce it because uh, it was you won your second round uh, in, uh, in Australia and then you had this awkward question on the court a little bit and you didn't know how to manage it. And then we were like, uh, uh, maybe let's put it uh, on Instagram. And... Uh, with the name you came up. I came up with the name. Yeah, it was actually very smart. James, you remember <laughs> James. But, uh, but it was more to, at the beginning, it was more to control in a little bit uh, the way that we want this out. And, and then we just had fun, I think, with uh, with uh, with uh, Instagram account. and. Uh, and publish for our fans. I think uh, we just have fun and uh, we really like it. You know. It's cool to, to have this kind of content because uh, um, it's nice to share with, uh, with the fans something behind the scenes and uh, something, uh, something different, I would say, because uh, we really enjoy doing something. something who who is leading James' account? Me, obviously. <laughs> with ideas you're coming up with, some ideas, but... <laughs> so were you nervous? Um, the day that uh, you proposed me? Not at all, you know. Was confident. <laughs> I knew it now, you know. For sure, you get a, a bit of nerves. So it was, uh, it was not that easy to plan uh, a, a good one, uh, a good, uh, good spot, because uh, uh, I had many ideas, as you know. And, uh, but then it came very natural, because to be honest, it was, uh, as you know, at the end, it was. Uh, I don't really like to to walk, and uh, and uh, we went for a hike. For four-hour hike. Yeah, for a four-hour <laughs> hike, and you know Elena's favorite, and, and then I had the Google Map and on my pocket, but I have no connection, so I couldn't find really the you know the area that I saw on Google Maps. So it was very awkward because I was looking back everywhere, like oh, maybe it's, it's this spot, but not really. And then when I found a spot, it was like a lot of people actually and it was covid normally you know so it was tough and at the end i was just like uh, or maybe uh, i will uh, i will freestyle in a restaurant and uh, and somehow elena just found a perfect spot the best spot 800 meters from the, the parking lot <laughs> and uh, and that i felt it i felt it that that was the moment and uh, and uh, of course, I was very nervous. And, but, uh, so were you more nervous than when you're facing Rafa in Algaraz? <laughs> <laughs> Is it this kind of nerves or no? <laughs> it's not you confident because you know about your relationship, but it's like, a, 
I know it's a, it's an important moment in your life. It's an important step. And uh, yeah, I was very nervous. More than a match, life it's uh, it's bigger. It's bigger than our sport, obviously. So I was uh, really nervous and uh, really happy that uh, you know it, it went well. You know, in 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 the way. To be fair, when you asked me to go for a hike, it was a bit of a strange thing because normally you don't hike in the mountains. So now I was very happy that it happened, that it happened there, that it happened in that, this particular time. So it was an um, amazing moment and I'm really, really happy that uh, everything went well. And for sure it's a, it's a big step for, um, in our life. Um, it's an amazing feeling. Who's the wedding planner in, in our couple now? Yeah, I think 99.99% it's me and then there is 001% is you. Just the music part. Just the music part is you. <laughs> I think uh, we already know uh, that what we want to do for, for the rest of our life uh, is just a, a step forward and uh, and uh, a more official you know i think uh, thing that uh, that's going to happen but uh, we will have still the same desire is like uh, to succeed in how life and to succeed on how sports so you know i think uh, it's going to be just even better you know in the way that uh, we we will have more joy maybe let's go Gal Malfis and Alina Svitolina. There'll be plenty more chats between the stars from the ATP and WTA tours over the coming weeks. Coming up next, the team from the weekly ATP Tour Uncovered TV show takes a look at how the race to Turin is shaping up. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. The Nito ATP Finals are now less than two months away and the race to Turin is on. Turn it up, let it blast. The first singles player to qualify for the season-ending finale was Novak Djokovic. So far this year, the world number one has won three Grand Slams and the Belgrade Open. Super scintillating and sensational from the Serb. I love this sport. Trying to make the history of tennis is, is a huge honour and privilege, so I find myself in the very privileged position of this year fight for a sixth title in, in the World Tour Finals, which would be called Roger. Second to qualify, it's Daniel Medvedev, the defending NITO ATP Finals champion. Daniel Medvedev is the NITO ATP Finals champion. With four titles to his name so far in 2021, including the US Open, the Russian is looking sharp as we close in on Turin. Daniel Medvedev is the master in Toronto. And it really was a masterclass this afternoon, his fourth title at this level. Here you need to be strong from the first point of the tournament till the last one. Everybody knows that. It's not that easy. Third to qualify, it's the 2019 NITO ATP Finals champion Stefanos Tsitsipas. So far this season, the Greek star has lifted trophies in Monte Carlo and Lyon. Tsitsipas claims his first Masters 1000 title. He's the first ever Greek Masters champion. It's all a big celebration and a big event, which is going to leave us all with uh, great memories. Fourth is the 2018 NITO ATP Finals champion Alexander Zverev. To go with Olympic gold, the German has also lifted trophies in Acapulco, Madrid and Cincinnati this year. Alexander Zverev is the 2021 Western and Southern Open champion, just brimming with confidence right now. 
This is one of the toughest tournaments to win. From the first match on, you're playing a top eight player. There's nowhere else in the world that you're going to do that. You have to play the best tennis that you can from the get-go. You can't really come into matches a little bit slow, a little bit sluggish. You really have to be focused and you really have to be ready. Taking fifth spot, it's Andrei Rublev. With runs to the finals in Monte Carlo, Halle and Cincinnati, Andre has also won the ABN AMRO World Tennis Tournament. Andre Rublev is the champion in Rotterdam. The Russian claims a fourth 500 series event in a row. When I saw it, I fell in love to be here one day, to play here, to compete, to become a dream. Just behind in sixth, it's Matteo Berrettini. The Italian reached this year's Wimbledon final and won the Serbian Open and Queens. It is the biggest title of Berrettini's career, his very first ATP 500 trophy. I'm kind of guy like pushing myself more and more. I want to be better every day, better person, better player. In seventh, it's Rafael Nadal. Rafa has triumphed in Barcelona and Rome. It is a tenth title for Rafa in Rome. Another fascinating chapter in this wonderful rivalry. Nadal is the champion. It's a special event in our tour and uh, there is always uh, special battles. Currently claiming eighth spot, it's Kasper Ruud. The 22-year-old Norwegian is enjoying a breakthrough 2021, winning Geneva in May before three titles in a row in July in Borstad, Gustad and Kitzbühel. It's a first top five win in the career of Kasper Ruud. This is what I've been dreaming about since I was a young kid and I try to think about that, you know, a little bit every day. The race to Turin is on. See you there. So Kasper Ruud sitting pretty for qualification to the NITO ATP finals. The team at Uncovered spoke to the Norwegian recently to look back at his 2021 campaign so far. Of course, that included winning back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back titles in Sweden, Switzerland and Austria. I think being an athlete is a 24-7 job. You need to be focused and serious about your job every, every hour of the day. When you're tired and uh, almost exhausted. It's a good indication that you worked hard. And that's something I seek for every day, to, to get that feeling. It means you've, you've pushed yourself and that you're tired is a good thing. This is what I've been dreaming about since I was a young kid, and I try to think about that you know, a little bit every day, uh, especially the tough days. From an early age, I used to watch tennis all the time and wanted to be on the screen myself. I'm at this point now where, you know, I get to play the big events, sometimes on the big court, so I just think that uh, these small things can, can motivate you a lot. I think winning those three tournaments back-to-back -back was something special and something that raises your confidence and belief in yourself, definitely. Many events this year and the past year have uh, really helped me on my self-belief, you know, that maybe this is, this is where I belong, I can challenge the big players. It's a first top five win in the career of Kasper Ruud. It really feels like I can belong there and hopefully win more titles in my career, obviously, but also I think obviously it brings you confidence and also self-belief that this is something that I can, I can be able to do. 
Kasparud is a Monte Carlo semi-finalist. It's turning into another sensational week on the clay for the young Norwegian. You put a little bit more pressure on yourself, you know, the higher you get. But I thought it's not as bad as I maybe thought it would be. Um, 2019, when I broke into the top 100, you know, I thought, oh, now I'm a top 100 player. I will put more pressure. And then I've been able to gain points and points and move higher and higher in the rankings pretty much every week. I guess I haven't felt too much of it yet, but I think now I've come to a point where uh, I can really start feeling it and hopefully I will be able to manage it and keep it under control. I don't mind being a clay court player. I'm not the big, you know, flashy player with the big shots and the big trick shots, so that's, that's completely fine with me. I play my game and I'm uh, confident with the game I play. That is a highly impressive way of stealing that opening set. I think clay is the surface that suits my game a little bit better for now, but I'm obviously working to try to become a more of an all-around court player. I have my best Grand Slam result from Australian Open this year. I think I don't have, you know, a lot of uh, doubts in my hard court uh, skills, but definitely it's not as good as maybe my clay court game, but uh, it's, it's something I'm working on, of course. Nadal is the perfect example, and I think also TM a little bit. I think the general media has considered both Nadal and TM, you know, big, big time clay court specialists, and Nadal has won even two times in Wimbledon, so it just goes to show that it's possible for, you know, the heavy topspin players to play well on the surface, and he's the type of player that I looked up to for many years and will try to learn from when it comes to this transition from clay court to hard court. The motivation to keep going is, you know, even higher than, than before. Another breakout star from 2021 has been British player Cameron Norrie. He's at a career-high ranking inside the world's top 30, having claimed his first ATP Tour title in Los Cabos, Mexico. He also reached the finals at the Queen's Club in London, in Lyon, France, and in Estoril, Portugal. Looking back now, it's, it's been a great year so far. I think I've really enjoyed my tennis so far and played a lot of big matches and played a lot of big names and, and highly ranked players, which has been great and I feel like I've improved as a player. Cam Nori keeps on winning. Especially after having a couple finals that didn't go my way um, early in the year. Every time I, I made the final, I was having a, a good week to follow it up and to back it up. So that was a positive for me. And But yeah, I was desperate to get that, that first title and I already lost four finals. So I was rearing and ready to take it and I wanted it so badly. So there was a lot of emotions going on. In 2021, my first final was in Estoril on the clay. I lost 7-6 in the third to Ramos. I was up a, a mini break in the tie break there and ended up losing it, which was tough for me. Was able to turn around pretty quickly after that and then be in the final in Lyon against Tissipas. He chopped me up pretty comfortably. I played well, he was too good, he was playing great. It's victory 
moves into the third final this season. This is a big deal. Third final is in Queens at home, so another brutal one. I lost 6-3 in the third. That was difficult. It is the biggest title of Matteo Berrettini's career. I was thinking, man, am I ever going to get this, get this first title? Leading into Cabo, I was able to go in as the top seed. The first time I'd ever been top seed in a tournament before, so slightly different pressure there, and then was able to compete and work with the pressure and play with it and use it to my advantage. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking about things too much. I was in Cabo, I had the beach there, it was very nice and was enjoying my time on the court and off the court, so I wasn't really thinking too much. And I think once I got that first round win under my belt, was I was able to relax and play my game and feel the conditions out a little bit and was able to, to go out and, and play some great tennis and, and it, I executed well in all departments of my game that week, so it all came together. Oh wow, what a rally. <laughs> a rueful smile from Fritz, but Norrie coming up with a blinding winner. Coming into that final was thinking, man, come on, like this is the chance to do it. I mean, the fifth final, I got to, I got to take this one. Brandon had some some good wins that week. He had beaten Query, Isner, uh, Thompson, so he had taken out some some tough players. But it was nice knowing that it was his first final, and I had obviously way more experience than him in the finals and on tour. So I was try to use that to my advantage. He played a couple of loose games and I was very consistent with my level throughout the match. On match point, one ball got called out and then he challenged it. So I thought I won the title and then it got overruled. Then I had to play it and then ended up playing a very long game after that. So I had to wait almost another five minutes for the title in the end. I hit a forehand line and he hit it in the net and I think I just, it was like a big yell of relief. Looked over to my team, they were all smiling, clapping. I think in that game it was more relief than, than joy than anything and when I, when I sat down I could really enjoy it. So it was a lot of emotions and I was like, God, thank God I got it done. The monkey was off the back a little bit after getting that title. Keep listening as Spanish great Feliciano Lopez is another to have questions about his own career put to him. But next, we hear from one of the brightest prospects on tour in Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime. He's speaking about how he adjusted to life on tour just over a year on from playing the U.S. Open in front of no crowds. I think we were all shocked. And I think we all took it, I think, lightly at first. I knew that at some point uh, tennis would come back. You didn't know exactly when, of course, but I knew that when it came back, I wanted to be ready. It was tough to take in, you know. Um, I'm a young player. I'm one of the young players that was playing well, was on, you know, in good shape, and you know, having to stop uh, that long was unfortunate, you know, because uh, it's kind of moments that you can't take back. And I had time to actually, you know, settle down 
be at home, train, uh, develop, you know, as a player, as a person, and you know, I think I, I got some positives also out of that break. I was able to, to stay in good shape uh, during that long break. It wasn't always easy to find the motivation when tournaments weren't near. In the end, I did good, and that's, in, that's why I was able to you know, come back in, in good shape. Anything that happens in life, I think you can have the best perspective on it, and you can kind of choose how you want to look at it. And for myself, of course, I was uh, sad that you know, the tennis was stopped, and that I couldn't play tournaments, but on the other hand, I was home, you know, uh, with my family, and it kind of brought me back memories of my childhood, just being home around my sister, my parents, and having kind of this, that normal life, I guess, uh, even though I love what I do. It was good to, to come back uh, and, and reset at home and, and just do normal, normal things. I was training a lot at home. Um, I had the chance to find a way to play some tennis as well. So, you know, it was good. I was really just taking it one, yeah, one day at a time. Uh, there's nothing more I could really do. I think I've approached it in the right way. If I look back, and I've dealt uh, with the circumstances uh, pretty well. With the help of ATP, there was a few setup of, of phone calls, and uh, I did keep in touch also with Milos during that time. Even though we were trying to take a break away from tennis and just be with our, with our family, it was good to keep in touch with a few other players. I think at first, you know, being a, in a big tournament as big as US Open or Cincinnati before that, and having you know, no fans, it just felt like, you know, what am I playing here? On big matches, big occasions, to not have anybody in the crowd was a tough thing to adapt to, but uh, that was definitely the, the, the worst thing about it. My days haven't changed so much. I mean, I think the, the only thing that's really changed is not being able to go out to the restaurant or visit the city or, yeah, or just go sightseeing. So I don't think... Uh, my routine has changed uh, that much uh, past COVID. It was really sad to see uh, people suffering, going through a tough time, I mean, both in health-wise, uh, but also financially, uh, also socially, uh, with their families, with everybody. So for me, it was also a thing where I realized, you know, I'm, I'm fairly lucky and privileged to be in the position I am, um, you know, to be healthy, to be able to do my job, to, that I love and to be able to, that my, my, my family is healthy, uh, I think uh, that was the thing that I uh, remember the most. And Felix Auger-Aliassime is currently leading the way in the race to Milan standings. That's the end of year competition for the eight best 21-year-olds and under. Italian Yannick Sinner is sitting in second place. Oh, what touch from the Italian! Third, it's the youngster who captivated the crowd to the U.S. Open, the 18-year-old from Spain, Carlos Alcaraz. Down the line goes Alcaraz, and that was brilliant! In fourth, it's American Sebastian Corda. Corda responds with maybe the shot of the match! Another American comes in fifth, and it's another player who stood out in New York, Jensen Brooksby. Sixth place goes to 19-year-old Italian Lorenzo Musetti. Musetti stretches for the backhand volley and makes it an astonishing point. In seventh, it's a player starting to make a name for himself in Argentine Juan Manuel Sarundolo. And finally, it's the third American in the top eight, Brandon Nakashima. Frenchman Hugo Gaston and Holger Rune from Denmark are currently just outside the automatic qualification spots. So, like the race to Turin, it's going to be an exciting end to the season. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. 
Finally this week, he may have been an alternate at the Laver Cup this past weekend, but how would Feliciano Lopez fare when thrust into the spotlight answering questions about his own career? What is your career high FedEx ATP ranking? 12. Yeah, this is an easy one. Oh, that's great hustling from Lopez. You won your first ATP Tour match at 2001, Ina Del Mar. Who was it against? Adrián García. Come on. How many consecutive Grand Slams have you played? 77. I'm impressed. Your first top 10 win came in 2002, Tom Tom. Who was it against? Marat Safin. How many wins over top 10 players do you have? Is it 18, 28, or 38? I would say 38. You're crushing this. No, but you make things easier. You give me three answers. Do you have more ATP Tour singles titles on grass or hard and clay combined? I won seven titles. Four of them they were on grass, so yeah, grass, definitely. I like getting inside your brain. Yeah. <laughs> I do my math. Name the three players that you've won ATP Tour doubles titles with. Fernando Verdasco, Mar Lopez. Wow. Who's the other one? He's a Scottish guy. Oh, <laughs> How can I miss that one? I'm so stupid. I lost my memory. It's crazy. Andy Murray. It's the perfect end to the most remarkable week. Oh my god. Which team did you and Mark Lopez beat at the 2016 ATP Finals? Which team? Bermaude. Uh, How many consecutive years have you finished in the top 100 FedEx ATP rankings? 20? 19? You gotta do it again. <laughs> That's impressive. Lopez, he's back in business here. You have four career wins over Nadal. Name the tournament you beat him. Cincinnati. <laughs> but this is the fourth time I beat him. Ah, name all of them. Basel, Queens, Shanghai. In 2016, you and Mark Lopez played the last ever match in the old Lee Armstrong Stadium at the U.S. Open. Against the Bryans. Didn't even need to think about it. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Know you know yourself. Uh, not really, huh? I'm not good with the years, but... Thank you. You're welcome. That's it for this week from me, Brian Clark. My thanks to all of our guests this week, and be sure to join us next Sunday as we look ahead to the BMP Parabas Masters in Indian Wells.